Okay, welcome to episode 24 of Special Situation Investing, where today we will revisit Intercontinental Exchange or ICE and delve deeper into the advantages of their business model. We want to buy and hold great companies, so to the extent we can get a great company through a spinoff or merger, we're that much better off. I believe that ICE as an exchange has several advantages built into the business model and that several of those benefits shine even brighter against an inflationary backdrop. First off, we will discuss the largest driver of ICE's revenue, which is trading fees. Fees generated through market trades constitute at least half of ICE's revenue, and as such are worth discussing first. On the ICE website, you can look up the comprehensive fee document. The document lists hundreds of fees for various exchange and clearing services. Most of the fees are between pennies and several dollars total. For example, London Cocoa and Euro Cocoa large delivery unit fee is 750 euro, and very, very few of the fees are that high. On the low end, London contract electricity levies cost 0.0005 cents. It's interesting that you can have a 50 billion market cap company where the majority of its revenue comes from trading fees, and most of those fees are so low that you couldn't buy a drink from a vending machine with that amount of money. It's just a very unusual business model for a company that large. Making money from a high volume, low fee business has some advantages in an inflationary environment. For starters, a 50 cent fee on a $10,000 or $100,000 transaction is nearly insignificant. Customers and vendors pay significantly higher fees when using credit cards all the time, and they do it almost without thinking. To the extent that transaction fees are uh, indiscernibly small to customers, they will be relatively price insensitive to small increases in those fees. If, for example, ICE raised their fees 10% to adjust for inflation, the customer may only see an increase of a few pennies on each trade. Because the cost of the trade was so low to begin with, the customer will likely continue using the service without thinking about the cost increase. In effect, ICE's revenue moves up by hundreds of millions of dollars with a fee increase of only pennies per transaction. Second, trading volume has a significant impact on the ICE business model. If trading volume doubles in any market, so too does their revenue. In times of market turmoil, trading volume almost always increases. Some of that trade volume represents investors selling at a loss which is unfortunate for them, but not for ICE. Because ICE earns a flat fee for each trade, their revenue and income increase with increased volume, irrespective of the market's overall direction. Take a look at the trading volume over a long period of time, and you will see several obvious spikes. The 2008-09 financial crisis, along with March of 2020, are easy to spot as trading volume spiked at those times. How does this relate back to inflation? Well, inflation causes disruption throughout markets. A company like Coca-Cola might see their margins shrink, even while sales increase. This could be caused by rising labor and commodity prices and an inability to adjust their prices up quickly enough to offset the increase in variable costs. Once investors see an earnings miss or two, coupled with shrinking margins, they begin to sell the stock and look for other investments. The story plays out across thousands of companies, 
with the common theme being shrinking margins and unpredictable earnings. In this environment, you will see investors in aggregate do a lot of rebalancing and shuffling of their holdings, which of course is an increase in trading volume and a tailwind for ICE. A third benefit to the ICE business model is its sale of intellectual property over physical property. With inflation on the rise, economies around the world are experiencing supply chain disruptions. Forgetting the negative impact of rising commodity prices on a given business for the moment, let's consider the impact of supply chain disruptions themselves. When dealing in physical products, a shortage of that product could mean lost sales for a company in that industry. This causes the business to face the double headwind of inflation-driven margin compression and a decrease in sales resulting from supply chain shortages. These effects are largely eliminated in a business like ICE, where products exist as intellectual property or transaction fees. Put simply, you can't have a supply chain disruption in data analytics, transaction fees, and mortgage services. Because of this business model characteristic, sales are not impacted by supply chain disruptions and the business fares better under inflationary times. Finally, low capex, i.e. no property, plant, and equipment, is the final advantage that we'll discuss today. Beyond the relatively few employees and offices maintained by ICE, they have almost no fixed costs. No plants require modernization, no commodity input costs can rise to compress margins, and aside from the computers running exchange and data analytics, no equipment must be modernized to keep up with competition. It is difficult to understate this advantage, but a comparison with a more typical company can help to illustrate the point. The single stock I've held the longest is Starbucks, which I purchased in the late 90s. Over the last two years, rising commodity inputs have compressed their margins. Employee pressures to unionize is almost certainly connected to lost purchasing power among employees and their expectation that the employer must raise wages accordingly. The company was forced to relocate thousands of stores in 2020 and 2021 from office districts and city centers to the suburban areas surrounding large metro areas as workforces shifted from in-office to telework almost overnight. All the while, ICE continued to charge a flat fee on millions of transactions only to turn around and repurpose the very same trading information as data analytics sold by subscription to market participants. ICE effectively sidestepped the disruptions faced by Starbucks and continued to earn record profits. In conclusion, of the many business models that exist, only a few are positioned to succeed in an environment of sustained inflation. Texas Pacific Land, which we've covered in a previous episode, and other royalty companies like Masabi Trust are one type of business model. Exchanges like ICE are another type. If and when we can add these businesses to our portfolios, we should seriously consider doing so. Acquisitions, mergers, and spinoffs in these companies may be the perfect entry point, and I know I'm following the ICE Black Knight purchase closely in order to add another fantastic business model to my collection. All right, I hope you enjoyed that uh, deeper dive into Intercontinental Exchange or ICE business model as we covered some of the wave top data on 
Ice's purchase of Black Knight in the previous episode, episode 23. And with that, we'll wrap it up for another week. And stay tuned as we continue to evaluate some of the recently announced spinoffs in the coming weeks. I know there are several that have just popped up and uh, need looking into. So thanks for listening. And this wraps up episode 24.